Thank you, Laura, worship team. Hmm. Uh, I came, I've come to believe uh, some years ago, and maybe you, this isn't necessarily radically new or whatever, but that, um, that the Christian life, like, is the greatest adventure. And uh, I remember I, I did a, back when I was a youth pastor, I did a little seminar at a, at a retreat one time, just, you know, the great adventure, right? And memories back to Stephen Curtis Chapman and uh, saddle up your horses. Kind of, uh, anyway, um, I actually, I watched that video. It was really funny. Oh my gosh. Did you watch it? I told her, <laughs> doesn't he look awkward? Like he does not look like country. I don't know. Is he, does anybody know? Is he like country? I don't know. He just, he's just wearing his plaid shirts and just looks out of place. I was like, what are you doing? Uh, anyway, but it fit for the song, you know, saddle up your horse. Anyway, but uh, the Christian life, right? It's, I don't know. I, I just really feel like it's this great adventure. And, you know, I mean, some of us, I guess, some of us really like, you might agree with that, but you kind of wish that it wasn't like such a great adventure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if it's just kind of quiet, right? You know, I mean, just kind of like not so like crazy, like not so, but it is, right? It's the, it's the greatest adventure. There's no other worldview that will guide us into the love of Jesus. There's no other worldview that will ignite joy and contentment like Jesus. There is no other moral code that will challenge our selfishness and call us to serve one another. There is no other leader who will direct us into intimate relationships and into places that we thought we'd never go. (laughs) No other leader who can so completely turn our mornings and our failures into laughter and celebration. Amen? It is the greatest adventure course, what does adventure mean? <laughs> right? You know, I mean, we, we, that word feels right. You know, it's, ah, I like that word adventure, but, but what does that mean, right? The fact that something is adventurous means that it, there's excitement to it, right? It, it means that there's exploration, but it also means that there's tension, there's risk, yes. There's, there's opportunity for things to not go the way we thought they would. Times when, you know, in this great adventure where it's painful, it's hard. Maybe we feel like we wish we'd have never started this adventure. Because a life of adventure is not a call to a life of ease It's not a call to a life of comfort, despite what so many of us sometimes think. You know, it's like we come to faith in Christ, we think, oh my gosh, everything's going to get fixed. Everything's going to be taken care of. Now I've got this amazing, like, you know, Jesus who's going to bless me, and all my problems are going to go away, and it's going to be awesome forever. It's going to be, oh, yay, wonderful, right? But no, this is not the life that Jesus has called us to. It's not a life of ease. It's not a life of comfort. It's not a life of luxury. 
Consider how many wealthy people have given it all away when they found Jesus. Truth is, in the midst of adventure, this great adventure of the Christian life, we will run into things like silence from God, disappointment with God, persecution, and change, transitions. But again, I would suggest that throughout Scripture, We don't see the life of Christianity, the life with God, the life of the great adventure as being one that is sedentary, that is just sitting around and doing nothing. We see that the life of adventure that Jesus calls us to over and over again through Scripture is a life of challenge, a life that disrupts things, (laughs) disrupts our perspectives, changes us. Following Jesus leads us into a life of purpose where we serve one another and share the gospel with the world. He leads us into a life of significance where we intentionally choose to engage in our mess and even the messes of others. When we allow Jesus to direct our steps, we never stop changing, we never stop learning. We never stop caring. We never stop serving. And we never stop pursuing the lost. It is the greatest adventure. And at the beginning of this message, as we're going to dive into the life of Jacob and this particular series of events, which is just shocking in some sense, but amazing, but also kind of highlights this adventure. I think I have to ask the question for some of us, are you still in it for the adventure? Are you okay? Do you really want the adventure? You know, maybe some of you are at the beginning of this adventure or this Christian life. And maybe it seems a little bit legalistic to start with and kind of boring. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read the Bible. These things are, oh my gosh, Leviticus is the worst, right? You know, maybe it seems like that at the beginning. Do you really want this adventure? At the beginning, oftentimes God begins to like change things in us, challenge us, expose our sin and say, hey, you're going to get rid of this? What about this? So for those at the beginning, maybe it's kind of like, I don't know, do I really want this adventure? Do I really want to go all in? Do I really want to surrender all to this Jesus to live out this adventure? Or for others of us, maybe we've already lived a lot of adventure. Maybe we've spent 30, 40, 50, 60 years living in the adventure and we're just tired We're just kind of like, you know, is it time for us to, you know, stop being so adventurous? (laughs) You know, it's funny because America, right, this wealthy America that we live in, great, great country. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's amazing. But the capitalistic mindset, like, it's all about getting rid of adventure, exactly, actually. Like, it's all about, like, this rest, like, we're, we're all striving, working hard every week in order to build our nest egg so that someday we can retire and then do what? 
do what we want when we want and kind of do our own thing or rest or whatever, play golf all the time, whatever. I mean, whatever you like to do, like knit all the time or sew or, or play in the pool, whatever it is, right? Like the idea of success and power is to have all this money so that you can sit around and you can do your own thing. And some of us as Christians living this adventure for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, whatever it's been, kind of like, yeah, that kind of sounds nice. The adventure doesn't end until we move from this life to the next. Then we get a different adventure. It's going to be really cool there too. Don't get me wrong. But I think, you know, sometimes, you know, our, our, I'm, getting, I'm starting to experience this more and more. You know, I'm 50-something now. <clears throat> uh, but, you know, as, you know, I, my body starts to slow, you know, our bodies slow down, right? It, they, it, there's pain for whatever, uh, why? Why is there pain? I didn't do anything. There's just, why? Um, but, you know, so, so our bodies do slow down. So it's not, it's not that we don't slow down. Our bodies will temper our, uh, our activity. Amen. But are our hearts still... <laughs> Holy Spirit right here, isn't he? Um, but, are, but are our hearts still in the adventure? Do we still want it? Are we still allowing Jesus to direct our steps? Are we still totally sold out? Are we totally surrendered? Even if we go, oh my gosh, that seems like a lot of, <laughs> going to take a lot of energy. But you're calling me, okay, let's go, right? Do we want the adventure? So Jacob, I think, is a great example of the life of adventure. Oh, my gosh. This guy has lived and lives an amazing adventure, especially in the chapters we're looking at today in Genesis chapter 29 through 31. And, and Jacob, I see, is uh, in this situation where, I mean, these, these, these three chapters are talking about him, you know, finding his wives, getting, you know, married, and then, you know, kind of growing his family, right? And it seems like, oh my gosh, this would be amazing. But it's just kind of this wild story, all these different things that are going on. And, and so uh, we can sometimes look at this and we think, you know, because Laban, you know, he ends up deceiving, you know, and, and all this kind of crazy stuff. We'll get into that in a minute. But, you know, he kind of get all this crazy stuff he does and, and whatnot. And we kind of think, oh, you know, it's easy to go, well, Jacob, you know, you're kind of just getting a taste of your own medicine because remember what you did to your brother, right? And so we can oftentimes look at these three these 20 years of time in these three chapters and think, well, he is just getting what he deserves. But I think we need, to not for, we need to not forget what happens right before these chapters. Right before he gets into this uh, place where he meets his, his uh, wife and marries his wives and all of that, God meets him. With his head on a stone, sleeping one night, he has this dream. Remember, we talked about this a few, uh, a few months ago, a couple months ago now. But, and, and God shows up and he says, Jacob, you're the promised one. You're the one that I'm going to fulfill my promise that I give, gave to Abraham originally and then to Isaac and now to you. We're passing this on. But more than that, God calls him to go and find his uncle, to find a wife. You know, it's amazing when, when, when Jacob laid down his head that night, he was in the mode of, uh, 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 of running, escaping what was, uh, you know, some kind of ugly things that were going to happen from his, his brother. His brother wanted to kill him. 
And so he's in the midst of running from retribution for his own deceptions and his own poor behavior. But when he wakes up, it's totally transformed. He's no longer running from something. He wakes up, and now he's running to something. And so because God has called Jacob to go to his uncle, to, to find his uncle, to find his, a wife, to, 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 to be, begin to build that family that he has promised he's going to have, that God is the one who initiates this. And when God initiates, when God calls, what happens? Again, oftentimes we can think it's just all going to be really pretty and nice and, and fluffy and, and comfortable. But we see in Jacob many different experiences, and each one of them, he, it, it, there's an example in these stories that we can take to encourage us when we face these same things. So let's look at Genesis and read it's that long introduction. Let's read verses 1 through 14 of Genesis 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, it is well with him. Or is it well with them? He, they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, sheep, father's sheep, get that right, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone of my flesh, you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month we see right away uh, how God orchestrates things here, right? I mean, uh, Jacob is looking for his ancestors, right? He's looking for his uncle, uh, and he kind of knows maybe where, you know, kind of to look, and he's on their way, but notice the, the, the kind of amazing things that happen. Like, first of all, he shows up at this well, and there's all these shepherds there, and he's like, hey, do you guys, you know, where are you from? And they go, oh, we're from Haran. Go, oh, cool. Well, that's where my uncle's from. Where, do you know Laban? And they're like, 
yeah, we know Laban. Yeah, you know, he's, he's doing well. Everything's great. And, and matter of fact, here comes Rachel, his daughter. I mean, think about this. Like, I mean, out of all the wells that Jacob goes to, like he gets to this one and it happens to be, right, his, Laban, his uncle's daughter is coming and bringing the sheep in order to be watered, right? And, and then also consider also the, the, the greeting that he receives from, from Laban, right? And it's like Laban is all excited. Yeah, my, this is my sister's son. Like, oh, right, she, he's back. We can get to know each other, all this kind of stuff. And so he's well received. There's like all this blessing at the beginning of this, right? And, and this is typical, I think, when God calls us to something. Maybe you've experienced this, right? When God calls you into something new, oftentimes there's a lot of blessing around it, right? You see God moving in like amazing ways. Like he just is obvious. Like, you know, all these circumstances, you know, coincidences work together, right? You know, oh my gosh, look at that. It just happened that this person was talking about this and that person. I mean, it's like amazing, right? And, and sometimes it's even miraculous. He does things that are, you know, you know, like, oh my God, there's like obvious that God is in this. And, and I think God often does that because sometimes, well, he knows, you know, we, we doubt. <laughs> you know, like, eh, I'm not sure if this is God or not. And so we kind of like take a little tiny step and he's like, no, 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 I want you to know I am calling you to this. Step out. And, and the beautiful thing about Jacob is that as he gets there, I mean, notice the joy. He's excited, right? He, he's excited to have found, you know, his family. Like, he's found this group of people. This, this, he's found his wife, like Rachel. He's all excited about this. So excited of all that God has been doing that he can't keep it in to himself. He, he's sharing it with Laban, like tells him the whole story, like everything that's going on. And this is, I think, how we you know, have to, you need to recognize at the beginning of God's call, when those, those moments when he calls us into something new and we see all the blessings, we need to embrace those blessings, enjoy those blessings. God has given them to us for a reason, and we need to make sure that we don't forget about those blessings, that we, that we celebrate those blessings, that we tell people about those blessings. You know, so often, I don't know, if you ever like moved out of an area and like God is calling you to move out of it, like when you talk to people, did you tell them like, I'm moving because God called me? Or do you just say, oh yeah, I'm moving because of my job? Or I'm moving because of, you know, the, you know, but did you tell, like, we, we need to testify. We need to give witness to what God has done and like not change our lingo in the world again, but we would step in and say, yeah, you know, I'm going to Texas because God has called me. Like not because of the, you know, the taxes or this has nothing to do with that. This is all about God, right? Whatever. But we, we need to proclaim that. And so our first uh, lesson that we learn in dealing with the things that we experience when God calls us is to enjoy the blessings, to celebrate the blessings, to remember the blessings. The next, next aspect of the story, let's look at uh, verses 15 through 30. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters, the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Isn't that great? You know, I, that's what I kind of told my son-in-law. Oh, well, I guess it's better you than somebody else. So yeah, that's great. <laughs> I love you, man. You're amazing. Uh, <laughs> So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. 
Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all of the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. <clears throat> Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. So here we find all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, all the blessing, all the, you know, everything's going great for the first seven years. All of a sudden things turn. Uh, you can imagine, like, I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> you, you, you get married, and then you wake up the next morning, and there's someone in your bed that you didn't marry. Like, like, that would be a little bit shocking, right? You'd have, like, whoa, what's going on, right? But, so, but this deception is, is really brutal. Like, I mean, it is really a cruel thing that Laban does, not just to Jacob and to Rachel, but also to Leah, right? I mean, think about what is going on there. I mean, she, she has just been wed to a man who doesn't love her, but also is now probably bitter because of her, you know, participation in this ruse, right? This is not a pretty thing. So this horrible thing, but you got to think like, what is going on with Jacob? I mean, I think at this point, Jacob's kind of going, whoa, things are a little different than I thought they were going to be. Things are kind of changing, but, but more than that, it's interesting in this story that in these seven years, God hasn't spoken to him. He spoke before he got there, but in these seven years, matter of fact, in the 20 years that, that Jacob is with Laban, God doesn't speak at all. And so imagine things start to turn kind of sour and you start to run into some trouble. Things get difficult when you're following Jesus. And he's silent. I think many of us have probably been there. We've had those times when we feel like our prayer is just bouncing off the ceiling. We feel like, you know, we just don't know like where God is. Like, feel like, you know, our prayers are just landing on deaf ears. St. John of the Cross, he's a 16th century Carmelite, Car Carmelite, yeah, Carmelite, uh, monk. And he, he called it, he called it, dark, what, what did he call it? Oh my gosh. Thank, thank dark night of the soul. I had dark, I couldn't think of night. Dark night of the soul. That, that, that time when it feels like God is distant. Feel like he's not there. And what a, seems like a horrible time for that to happen when you feel like you need him most. There's no assurance to Jacob that, you know, he's still doing the right thing, that he's still in where he's supposed to be. <laughs> Challenging spot. But what do we do? We're tempted to fall into despair. Maybe you've been there. Some Christians have fallen away because of this. They get into the thick of it and then things start, God gets silent on them. 
And they begin to doubt. Doubt who God is. Doubt his goodness. Doubt his love. Doubt his call. But I think Jacob reveals to us an important important thing that we need to keep in mind when God is silent, that we need to lean into faith. We need to remember the blessings. Remember all the miracles and all the crazy things he's done previous in our life. Cling on to those, cling to those things. Hang on to them. We need to lean into faith and trust that no, the things that I've learned, the things that I've experienced in the past of God are true. We need to trust that the promises that he's given are real. We have to, we have to trust that he has called us. That even though things have gotten pretty ugly and kind of crazy and, and he's silent in the midst of it, that he still loves us, that he's still good, that he's still working. In times when God is silent, we need to have faith. The next experience we have is this uh, uh, last little bit. I, I'm going to read it in a moment. But the third experience we see here is disappointment. Maybe you guys have been there before, right? I think, it, I think it happens a lot when God calls us, especially into something new. And we step out and we see him doing all this stuff and kind of, you know, blessing us at the beginning. And we get really excited. And oftentimes we begin to dream all of these crazy dreams, like about what God is going to do and the impact that we're going to have. And oh my gosh, it must be something great that God's calling me into because look at all he's doing and all this kind of stuff. And so we get these expectations of the, of the great and awesome and powerful things that God is going to do in and through us. And then we get in it and maybe it's not so great. Maybe it's just kind of, you know, kind of boring. Maybe it's just, you know, not much. Or, or maybe it's really different than what we thought. And maybe we find we're getting much more conviction than, than giving conviction. That Maybe we find that it's really painful. We can get disappointed. Disappointed at what God is doing. And, and I think Leah, in a brief little section here at the end of chapter 29 is a great example of not only disappointment with God, but how we are to respond. So verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Right? She recognizes that she's hated. She recognizes that she's not loved by Jacob. She recognizes the break. She's a lonely woman. She's a despised woman. She's a woman that's kind of just out there, like left on her, on her own. Yes, she's married to this Jacob, but he doesn't care about her. So he gives, she, when she gives birth, she names her children after kind of her heart condition at this point. Yes, you can see the hope like, oh my gosh, I've had a child. So now that maybe, maybe my husband will love me. 
But we see with the naming of the second son that her hopes were not fulfilled. She conceived again in verse 33 and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Notice the subtle difference. Reuben is about seeing. God saw that she was hated. Simeon, it's about hearing. God heard that she was hated. But the difference between the two is only in that word because the same is still true. Her husband doesn't love her. And with the naming of the third child, we see really her heart's desire to be connected to her husband. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. This is her heart desire, intimate connection with her husband, relationship but it's not there. She doesn't receive it. After bearing three sons to this man, which in this culture, that's a big deal. Like, that's important. (laughs) Her hope is not realized. She's disappointed. But I love the last, the fourth son that she conceives and gives birth to. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. In times of disappointment, when God doesn't come through in the way that we thought he was or expected him to, We need to praise him. We need to give glory to his name. We need to lift him up. Recount the many blessings and always remember this, that we have already received the greatest blessing of all, which is reconciliation with our creator and an eternity with him. Oh, that we too would in times of frustration, missed expectation, and great disappointment choose to praise the name of the Lord. Like the psalmist in Psalm 22, even when things don't go the way we hoped, even evil seems to be winning the day, even when the way is more than we can bear, he is still worthy of our praise. Psalm 22 Let's read verses 1 and 2. I've got them on the screen really quick. To the choir master, according to to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And then verses 22 and 24. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. 
Even when he's not there, even when he's silent, we can continue to praise him. Even when we're disappointed, even when he doesn't meet our expectations, we can praise him. Next, in chapter 30, we see uh, another experience that Jacob has. Just a couple more to go here. Just a couple of verses here in verse 30 to read. Verses 30, we'll just read verses 1 and 2. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied... uh, Is this right? Yeah, this is right. Uh, She envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God? Who, was withheld, who, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And then down to verses 31 to 36. And this is a conversation he's having with Laban. Again, he gets together with Laban and says he wants to leave. And Laban says, uh, no, I would love for you to stay and continue to work. And so what are their wages? They're haggling over wages. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so Laban says, he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all of your flock today, removing it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb. And the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons and set a distance of three days' journey between himself, Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So, again, Laban steps in and deceives uh, Jacob here. Interesting here, I, I see, a, a, you know, kind of this persecution that begins. You know, first at the beginning of this chapter, this Rachel kind of railing against him, right, and, and whatnot, but especially with Laban. His relationship had gone from, you know, 14 years of working for, you know, Laban's daughters, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's ready to leave, and Laban's kind of interactions with him kind of become more hostile. Now, Laban is not a good guy anyway, but now it becomes more directly hostile, actually working to cheat him of his wages, working against him, actually overwatching him. You know, the idea that, you know, he would be able to go and check on Jacob's, you know, flocks on a regular basis to make sure he's not, you know, I mean, this kind of oppressive uh, nature of Laban that's kind of coming out. It's interesting here that we see the, the struggle uh, that begins, and you can imagine the, uh, the, the tension in Jacob. Uh, perhaps a desire probably in him to, to immediately just get out of there, to flee. Like, you know, oh, I don't have to put up with this. Like, why am I even doing this? Like, I, I wanted to go anyway, so I'm just out of here. But he doesn't. He stays. And, and, and it's also interesting. And, you know, remember, you know, 14 years ago when he was back home, you know, the story was he, you know, he left home deceiving his brother. And now we've had 14 years and it, it seems like he's left his deceiving ways. Right? 14 years, and he treats Laban with respect. Like, he, he doesn't try to trick him or whatever. It's kind of like, you know, here it is. But then this happens, and the persecution comes, and you see how Laban kind of falls back into his old kind of tricks, right? And he begins to try to deceive Laban as well by laying the strips of bark in the water troughs and hoping that he can, you know, kind of build his flock by doing that. Now, I, I can't imagine that that actually worked. It doesn't seem scientifically that it worked, but God did bless Jacob in that. 
God did bless the flocks of Jacob and did allow his flocks to, to grow and to be strong. And it's amazing. And I think that's an encouragement to us too. A lot of times when we're in persecution, we just want to get out of there. Like a lot of times when we're in persecution, we just want it to be over with. But I think we need to remember that in persecution, God is always at work. He's caring for us. Uh, right? I mean, Jesus even said so in, in Matthew chapter 5. I think I have this verse too. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? The preamble of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It says you're blessed if you're persecuted, right? That, that we should recognize that in the midst of persecution, God is there caring for our needs. He, he loves us and he knows what's going on. We, we, we need merely to look at the growth of the church in the midst of persecution, right? I mean, I mean look at China, like in the, in the last 20 or 30 years of the 20th century, right? It exploded even though there was great oppression. Even today, what is the fastest, one of the fastest growing churches in the world today? In Iran. Wait a second, how can that happen? What's going on there? It's because in the midst of persecution, God blesses his people. But we learn as well, I think, from Jacob, this important piece that we need to be patient in persecution. You know, we, we, we like to embrace the fun. We like to embrace the good stuff. We like to embrace the blessings. But when it comes to persecution, we prefer just to leave that alone. But I think what Jacob reveals to us is that he spent six years in this persecution and is that we need to embrace persecution as well. We need to not just flee. We shouldn't flee like physically, like just to get out of the situation, but we also shouldn't flee by giving in to our oppressors. You know, sometimes it just, you know, it's just easier if I just don't talk about Jesus anymore. Or I just recant. Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't really believe in Jesus, you know, whatever, right? But we need to stand firm and be patient in the midst of persecution, trusting that God is providing, but also trusting that he will call us when it's time to get out of that persecution or he'll do something, you know, whatever. I mean, think about Egypt, 400 years, right, in slavery, you know, Israelites in Egypt, right? Um, so uh, we need to learn to be patient in, in uh, our suffering. All right. Uh, the last uh, experience that we see is in uh, chapter 31. Again, the first three verses of that chapter. Now Jacob heard the sons of Laban were, were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So finally, God speaks again after 20 years, and he calls Jacob. Now, imagine his excitement after all of this persecution and all that he's endured. He's like, oh my gosh, yes, I get to get out of here. But imagine also some, of, some shock in this, maybe, that, that God is calling him back to where he came from, back home, right? I mean, those of us who really love adventure, we usually think going back is like, that's backwards. Like, I, I don't want to go back. I've already been there. I know what that's about. I'm kind of done with that. We're moving on. But also in Jacob's case, right, the last time he saw his brother, his brother was trying to kill him, right? And so that's kind of like, you know, I really want to go back to that. But I, I, but I see this amazing reality in Jacob, how he embraces the transition, 
He, he, he packs up, he immediately calls his wife and wives together and says, hey, this is what's going on. We're leaving. We're out of here. We're moving. He didn't hesitate. He made it happen. And, and that's an encouragement us to us that we need to embrace transition when it comes. When God speaks and says, all right, it's time to move, we need to move. We need to get together and make it happen. We need to let people know, hey, God's called me. I'm moving. I'm out of here. Let's go. Moving on to the next thing. We need to uh, uh, be prepared to escape persecution. Yay! But we also need to be prepared to return to the place of bad memories. And we also need to be prepared maybe to leave the place of comfort and joy and peace. When God, call, when God calls, we embrace his call and we follow. All right, worship team, why don't you come up? Following Jesus is the greatest adventure. There is no other way to enjoy the fullness of life, to live a life of significance, to find purpose and joy. But adventure is not a life of ease, comfort, and luxury. It's a life filled with many different experiences, some good, others quite challenging. With these varying seasons and following Jesus, it's important for us to respond appropriately to each of the different seasons. In times of blessing, we joyfully celebrate cataloging and talking about all the wondrous moves and miracles of God. In times of silence, we cling to our faith and what we previously learned and experienced about the character of God. In times of disappointment, we lift our praises to God. In times of persecution, we endure with patience. And in times of transition, we embrace the change. No matter where or when it is, we immediately accept his call and follow his lead. The beautiful thing about following Jesus is not only is he the one that calls us to the great adventure and leads us in the great adventure, but he has lived the great adventure as well. He's lived in the midst of disappointment. He's lived in the midst of God being silent. He's lived in the midst of persecution and in times of change. And because of that, he is not just one who leads us, but he's also an example for us to follow that we would follow Jesus as he leads, but we'd also follow his example as expressed in scripture. And so this morning we go to communion and we once again remember who Jesus is, the life that he lived, but also what Jesus did on our behalf, that he willingly gave his life, he poured out his blood for us, that he opened up the way for us through his death on the cross to be reconciled to our Father in heaven and have hope for eternal life. And so this morning, as we approach the, uh, and receive the elements, I would encourage you once again to, to just reflect on that. And once again, commit your life to him, to embrace the great adventure. And the only way to do that is totally surrender, to t allow him to take us wherever he wants to. Whatever he leads, we will go. And that's not just true for us individually, it's also true for us as a church. As we step into this transition that he's called, we have to be aware of that, that you know, there's going to be blessings, certainly, but there may be times of silence from God, times of disappointment, times of persecution, and then times of other changes to come. But are we in it? Are we committed to it? Are we willing to surrender it all for Jesus, to trust his leading? All right.
We will come uh, on the outside aisles, please, for, to receive the elements. Again, if you would prefer to have them brought to you, we have a basket in the back, and maybe one of our elders can help make that happen um, and bring that to you. Uh, otherwise, you can come forward and then return to your seat in the middle of the aisle. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's spend some time enjoying Jesus and reflecting on what he's done for us and recommitting our life to him. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 and following, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And jumping down to verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, Lord, if you... If, <laughs> what, what, what? We're going to sing. We're gonna, Praise oh. God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly you'd like prayer this morning, we'd love to pray for you. Our prayer team is up front here on either side. Uh, so please come and allow us to join you in that way. Have a great day, church.